This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. He's introduced you to great coffee. Congratulations! World's best cup of coffee. Great music. You win in a wrestling match. Lemmy or God? Lemmy. Ah, God. Wrong dick. Trick question. Lemmy is God. Great travel. That's the dream. It's not the destination. It's the journey. All things to enrich your life. If you're good at what you do, people will recognize that. Now, he's ready to tackle itself. Whoop-de-doo. What does it all mean? With some great guests with even better life stories. Yes, even better than how he almost failed grades 2, 4, and 7. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. You're listening to the Brenton on Tour Lifecast. Here's BD. 2019, I decided to tour completely sober in a touring world that does not allow you to be sober. So I thought I would give it the real college try and do a whole year of touring completely sober. And I stumbled upon this amazing book called The Sober Diaries about a month into my journey uh, at Heathrow Airport. And I started reading the book and started reading a bit about the author and reached out to that author and said, listen, I've just started my journey and uh, your book has been really great to read. You know, I got about a month in. I kept following along, and she wrote me back. And I thought, wait a minute, this is really cool. This is somebody who's giving me a bit of access to what she went through. And it changed my journey right at that moment to follow along her journey and to see if they correlated. And she made the time to come see me today. Claire Pooley, welcome (laughs) to the first episode of the LifeCast. Thank you. I'm so thrilled to be here and to meet you in person after all this time because we've been sort of corresponding for for a few months now and uh, it's, yeah, it's great to be here. So thank you. I started the journey for nothing more than the fact that I thought maybe I needed to give it, you know, a real try. I needed to try to go on tour and see if I could do it without a single drink in the course of a year. And your book came, uh, there's so many books, there's, there's loads of books, how to stop drinking and how to do this and how to do that. And I, and I found a lot of them very, I don't want to say dull, but it just was really hard to wrap my head around the process. And your process made it so easy because of what you created here and how you wrote the book and how you sort of made it flow. It helped me go along my journey because you put your day numbers in. <laughs> day 40, day this and day that, and I, I would coincide. So take me to this spot because for our listeners that are just learning about you, it started with this amazing blog and here we are. You've got this amazing book. Yeah, I mean, my, my story is... is you know, very similar to a lot of people who who find that they end up in having a problem with alcohol and that it just sort of crept up on me. You know, I, I used to drink a glass of wine at the end of the day to relax and, you know, it's like me time and it was my way of chilling out and, um, you know, and that glass of wine turned into two glasses of wine, which turned into three glasses of wine. And before long, I was drinking a bottle a day and more at weekends. So I was drinking about 10 bottles of wine a week. Uh, which is way too much, obviously. And it started to have a really bad impact on my life. And, you know, at, I think at that point, I felt really lonely because I thought I didn't know anybody else like me. I, you know, the image I had of people who had alcohol problems was very different from the image I had of myself. And, you know, I I felt like I was the only person who couldn't cope with alcohol in the way that, you know, in the way that, normal people could um and and I was made to feel like I wasn't normal and uh and as a result I started um I started writing a blog 
and I started writing it to sort of get my head around what I was going through. And I called the blog Mummy Was a Secret Drinker. Um, and I started it the day I stopped drinking. And it was my therapy. So I wrote every single day and I wrote what was going on in my life. And I never publicized it, but more and more people found it. And, you know, within a year, actually, I'd had nearly a million hits on the blog uh, without any publicity. And what I discovered is, is that you know, we're all very different. We come from different places. We are different ages. We, you know, we have different backgrounds. And yet people, when they quit drinking, go through such a similar experience. And, um, you know, and so when I started sharing my story, I had people all over the world saying, God, I feel exactly the same. And just the same thing happened to me. And, you know, and we, as a result, all of us felt much less alone. And I guess that's why I published the book, because I didn't want anyone else to feel like I did when I first quit drinking. I didn't want anyone else to feel that lonely. I didn't want anyone else to feel that different or that abnormal. Um, you know, I wanted them to realize that, you know, there are millions of us out there that can't cope with alcohol because alcohol is a toxin. It's an addictive drug. And, you know, if you get in trouble with it, it's not your fault. It's the fault of the drug. Um, and that's, that's what I wanted people to understand. But I mean, I guess the other thing I really wanted to do is, is to make it upbeat and to make it fun because, you know, I mean, everything I'd read about alcohol was all doom and gloom. It was like, this is going to be so hard and so miserable. <laughs> and sometimes it is hard, but, you know, the best way of getting through it is to make it not miserable, you know, is to, you know, it's actually the most transformative thing you can do with your life is to quit drinking. It's a really positive and a phenomenal thing to do. So I wanted a book that was upbeat and was was funny and well, it certainly is and it made me laugh and especially as you adjusted to going to dinner parties <laughs> and things because one of the one of the things you touch on is how you're more likely to be given a glass of wine at a, at a play date mm. right than than juice or water or something because it's just the most common thing and uh, the biggest thing that i found through this journey especially being on tour the the the, the first thing people say to you is what what are you talking about? And I'm, uh, why? Or, or uh, did you have a problem or did you have this? And my, I guess, did I have a problem? I'm not sure I can answer that. Did I foresee a problem? Potentially. Did I drink a lot the year before? 100%. So while I'm going through trying to be as responsible as possible and be a good dad and, and a husband and all the rest of it, this this kind of creeps in and becomes a bit of a normal end of the day. Mm. Get on the bus, have a couple of doubles, have a, have a whatever, go to sleep. And people can't wrap their head around when you want to stop doing that. And you make it fun in the book how you counter it. <laughs> it's funny, you, isn't it? Because, you, um, you know, you give up smoking and everyone treats you like a hero, you know, and you give up alcohol and people think you're a bit crazy. And, you know, I mean, uh, something I, I talk about in the book is, is, you know, alcohol is the only drug that you have to justify not taking. And, you know, it's crazy because... You know, any other, you know, you, you can give up gluten or dairy and people go, oh, that's cool. <laughs> you know, but you give up alcohol and they go, why? Um, and I think it's, it's because it's because it makes people question their own behavior and nobody likes having to do that. It does that. I'm finding a bit of that. People, people oh, I could never do that. Or I, or, mm. or how do you do it? Or or just the 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 journey of day one because they're sober October and there's January now people aren't drinking okay I'm drinking you know people plan it out they plan out their I'm gonna go well I can't stop drinking on the 20th of December because we've got Trevor and Marie's party on the 21st oh and then we've got to go yeah I did uh, that stuff for years right then we've got to <laughs> go to like oh and then uh, my husband's family's having dinner and that's always good for four bottles like like we 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 plan i've seen i was part of it it's like well people literally I've, i feel like sober october or or january it's it's been created and now people go well, okay well i gotta get all my drinking in september because then i'm gonna be sober in october but there's these little things and that day one hurdle is seems to be easy because 
a lot of people after they've been drunk for two or three days don't want to drink on for a couple of days. So then you, you okay, it's a week, and then it's then it's two weeks. I started with three months. And then I'm like, well, I'm at 90 days, so 100's right there. Oh, there's 125. Well, 150's just around the corner. So just it kind of went like that. And reading along your, your book as you were kind of describing what you were going through on this day and that day and all yeah, the rest see, of it. This, I think, is, is part of the problem with a, a sort of dry January and sober October because the first month is the hardest, um, but it's also the one where you get the fewest results because actually you find that it's about 100 days when the really good things start kicking in and that's also when it gets easier so if you've quit drinking just for a month you've gone through the hardest bit without getting any of the really good bits so you know you're bound to think oh that's a bit miserable i better start drinking again actually what you really want to do is give it 100 days and then see how you feel and that's where it was it was 100 days for me and i was like well i feel really great the detachment of a good time this for me is the thing that I think people struggle the most with because as long as we've been kids, our parents had, you know, we were going out, wherever we were going out, parents were like, oh, got to stop at the, got to get some wine or mm. we got to do, and for me, I can think back to like every single thing from as long as I can remember was attached to alcohol. It was attached to like, I'm just saying Christmas parties, the neighbors building a shed and they're all drinking beer, ice yes, it's totally whatever it's going to be. It's hardwired into our it's self-conscious. Hard, it's hardwired into our into our system that we that you know that it's that you need it for a good time, and that is the hardest thing to break, especially on tour, because when you're on tour with people, half the time this is how you're getting to know people. Mm. You know, you can come into the first show and not meet anybody until you get on the bus after that first show and everyone's like, okay, what's your name? How are you? What's your job? Cool. What are you drinking? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, sparkling. I'll take a Pellegrino and lime. Okay. And then day two, it's like, I'll take two Pellegrinos and lime. And then <laughs> you start getting the separation of like what the bus starts separating into the people who drink and the people who don't. And that's like life as well. I've got people that I've told about it and it makes people it can make people a bit uncomfortable it, it can and you know it's a shame because you know I think you know I I have some friends who were you know I our friendship was based on on drink you know doing a lot of drinking together and and those friendships have been difficult since I quit but um, I found that the friends I do have um, are um, you know, my friendships are much deeper because actually, you know, drinking makes you quite, or it certainly did with me, it made me quite selfish. You know, I was always on transmit, you know, I was always sort of, I was, I'd yabber away and I wouldn't really listen to anything anybody said. And then if they did say interesting stuff, I couldn't remember it the next day anyway. And, and I'm not sure that, you know, I, I never really paid attention. And now I don't drink. I listen properly. I have really proper, deep conversations with people. I remember them the next day. I remember the important stuff. I'm really, so, you know, I'm a much better friend. So, you know, and, and actually I've made friends with a much wider group of people than I was ever friends with before because I used to pick my friends partly just on, on their stamina and how, you know, whether they were as big a drinker as I was. Whereas now I pick friends for all sorts of reasons and my friends are much more wide-ranging and eclectic and, and interesting. And there's the one thing that is going on in the world right now is that, I mean, everyone's got a voice mm. or everyone's got something to talk about. Or everyone's got, like, it's not as, like, it's easy to find people that don't drink. Uh, it's easy to find sober people everywhere. On tour, I'm finding it's starting to become a lot easier. People are uh, traveling. A lot of bands are better at it now. A lot of more bands are sober now, mm. which is filtering down to the crew. And so things are changing a little bit on that side of it. So I am finding it a little bit easier how far are you into your journey? How long have you been sober for now? Um, so it's coming up for five years. Five years. Yeah, and I have to say that, you know, it's funny, the first year of not drinking um, is 
you do a lot of looking internally you know you do a lot of trying to work out why you were drinking what you know what what's who you are without the drink what you can you you're left with a bit of a hole that you have to fill and you try and work out what to fill that hole with so you do a lot of thinking and a lot of sort of agonizing and what's so excited i'm so excited about for you because you're coming up for like year two is you know, the second year is when you really, I think your life really starts changing because, you know, you've suddenly, you, you're in a position where you've got, you know, loads more energy, loads more time, you know, you're much, you know, by then, you know, you've been through all that angst and sort of, you know, self-analysis and you feel much stronger and much more, you know, much more aware of who you are. And people in their second year sober often do the most extraordinary things. I mean, it's like you and your podcast. And for me, it was writing. So, you know, I first published The Sober Diaries and now I've written a novel, which is something I've always wanted to do. Um, but, you know, I never got round to it and I was always too scared. And you sort of, that's the other thing, you know, you quit drinking and you think, God, you know, if I can do that, if I can cope with all these things, if I can tour with a band for a year without drinking, I can do anything. You know, it turns you into a superhero. So you, you sort of, you forget your fear. So all the fears I had about rejection and not, you know, not being able to get published and wasting my time and all, you know, I thought, fuck it. You know, I mean, I, I, I might as well just go for it and see what happens. So... The podcast was a product of trying to be creative out here. Mm. Like I needed some kind of creative outlet. I'm sure that happened to you. So you yeah. today you stop back to your blog for one minute. You you just started writing it, and then you didn't. You just published it on like on like a blogger. What was it called? On blogger. blogger. Yeah. So you just you know did you categorize it like like you didn't publicize it, but did you write like self help? alcohol so people could find it yeah i mean and most people because i didn't I, because i was anonymous um so i called myself sober mummy and um i was really worried about anyone who knew me finding it so i couldn't publicize it on social media or anything like most people do with their blogs so it was literally i was found by people typing into google am i an alcoholic am i drinking too much how to stop drinking and you know the and i gradually went up the google search um, you know, engine because more and more people found right. me that way. So, so it gives you you see the growth. Like I, I liken to putting a podcast out, um, you know, to releasing an album every week. Mm. <laughs> That's how I feel right now because no one knows me. I'm just some schmuck on tour, but it's I'm building. It's been building and it's been a lot of fun. And, and obviously, it starts with your first listener. And, oh, there's somebody listening, right? There's somebody reading. Mm, I remember the first time somebody, you know, I saw a page view come up on my, my like, blog. Ooh. I was like, yay, somebody's reading. And then I was, it was me. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I probably have at least 20 of my own listens. Yeah, sure. Because, you know, <laughs> I, I don't, I, I rarely listen back to them. It's fine. I never, I, I, uh, I'm trying to grow with it. So I'm no, I've, if you can already tell, I'm no journalist. I'm just trying to build something and I'm trying to educate people as we move through this this thing and, and it's given me an opportunity to be creative this has been the best part of the journey because now i'm obviously clear and clean-headed and i'm not hazy and and all the rest of it and, and your days off are now filled with my you know the first modules that i was doing on the podcast were about coffee and trying to find the best coffee in the world and then i switched to music and then i switched to travel and, and here we are on life and it gives me now purpose to design these things out and give me something to do mm. on these days off where it used to be, what are we doing? What time are we going to the bar? Okay. We're just staying at the hotel bar. We're doing this now. It's like, I, I can go to a bar, but I, I'd rather go to an obscure coffee shop in the middle of the Scottish Highlands mm. and find out how they get their coffee and where well, they do it. And that's, yeah, you know, it's funny. Cause when you, when you drink a lot, when drinking is your thing, you become very lazy about what you do with your time because the, you know, the shortcut is always, oh, we'll have a few drinks. And when you quit drinking, you have to find different ways of, of getting out of your head, different ways of, of um, you know, of relaxing, of having fun, of sort of, you know. So since I quit, I've been, you know, I'm much more inventive about how I spend my free time. So I go to the theater a huge amount, which I'd stop doing. I do art galleries. I sort of do, you know, I do expeditions. I do all sorts of things that I'd stop doing because, you know, it was just easier just to go to a bar. So, you know, it makes your life much broader and much richer. And, and you know, coming back to your thing about creativity, you know, creativity and, and 
um, and addiction are are really linked in in many ways. So you know, I sort of think creative people often have very active brains. You know, you're sort of you know you constantly have stuff going around in your head, and that can be really exhausting. And and we often drink because it's a way of numbing those you know numbing all that stuff. Um, and um, and when you quit drinking. You need to find other ways of making your brain go still. And people talk about, you know, meditation and mindfulness. I don't know about you. I found meditation really hard. I haven't tried it yet, but I, I listen to a lot of Howard Stern, and he's done it, and all these other people come on there and they talk about it. I haven't quite, quite got there it's, yet. It, uh, it's, it's tricky, but you know what? Create any doing something creative does the same thing. You know, it, it makes it helps your mind still, and it stops all those thoughts going loopy. And it's sort of, you know, it's a form of mindfulness that is is sort of, you know, much easier and much more productive than, than just trying to meditate. So, uh, so, you know, I find people either write or they paint or, you know, they listen to music. Music is a fabulous way of, of, uh, of getting the same sort of dopamine hit that you used to get from alcohol. Describe the dopamine, dopamine side of it to people that aren't aware. Yeah, see, I, I did a, when I quit drinking, I did a whole load of research into what, why it was I got into this situation. And, and it's all, a lot of it is down to the dopamine. So the reason we drink is because when you drink, your brain releases dopamine and dopamine makes you feel good. Um, and so then your brain thinks, oh, that was nice. I'd like some more of that. So, so you know, your subconscious tells you to have another drink. Um, and, uh, and the problem is that when you, when you drink, quite a lot over a long period of time your brain stops making dopamine by itself because it gets the dopamine hit sort of every time you drink so it reduces the amount of dopamine that it produces naturally so that means that you get generally you feel rather down and depressed when you're not drinking because your brain's not producing dopamine anymore um, which is why they say alcohol is a depressant um, and the only way you feel happy again is when you drink. So you think, oh, alcohol is the only thing that's making me happy. Actually, alcohol was the thing that made you sad in the first place. So you're only trying to fix a problem that the alcohol created. So when you quit drinking, your brain takes a while to readjust, but eventually it starts making that dopamine again by itself. So you end up feeling sort of much more positive about life in general. Can you pull that dopamine from I guess maybe from the gym or from music or I guess yeah, it, it there's, there's finds a number of ways you can get a dopamine hit which are much more healthy mm -hmm. than drinking I mean actually the the easy way is sugar so cake and you know so a lot of people when they quit drinking start eating sweet stuff um, uh, obviously that's not a great thing to do all the time but once in a while you know hell who cares um, but uh, but yeah, exercise is a great gives you dopamine a dopamine hit. Uh, sex, obviously. Um, uh, coffee. Coffee, um, and uh, music, dancing. Um, you know, uh, sort of form anything. Anything creative um, has the same. I'm impact. finding that that's what's happening with me. I mean, the gym a lot more, but the creativeness. Like I just want, I want to find new ways to create mm. you know and, and and put some stuff out there and again i'm not as concerned with people knowing who i am what i want to do is create product that is educating or at least create something that's like an interesting journey for the listener and, and watcher because i'm i've got the youtube channel now as well so it's one of those things where i want people to learn something from it and that has been giving me quite the rush over christmas i had people messaging me i want to you know buy my husband this coffee maker strangers that were listening to the <laughs> podcast and what do you think of this and people asking me my advice on it which was what you know it was just the funniest thing and then on the music side of things i actually had some pretty heavy episodes of people dealing with cancer which you had to go through mm. obviously and and um some loss of of people that um in our in our music industry that really affected people and I actually had people reaching out to me that were had to pull their car over weeping oh. and I was like I don't know how to respond to that outside of the fact that I guess I've created something that 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 touched that touched somebody in some capacity so it it did give me a bit of a I, I have to keep doing this then I yeah, have to well, keep you creating. know what so much of social media is about people showing perfect lives 
that aren't real and that just make everyone else feel a bit more miserable. <laughs> because we look at other people's Instagram feeds and Facebook feeds and we think, why isn't our life like that? Why isn't everything so perfect? So I think doing something like you do where actually, you know, you interview people about the tough sides of life, you know, and the, you know, the, the things that aren't easy and aren't perfect, you know, are really helpful because it makes people realize that, you know, everyone has bad stuff going on in their lives and we're all just muddling along and trying to cope. And, you know, and actually, you know, it's, it's not like an Instagram feed. You know, that's not real life. No, and I, I try to, I want to keep the episodes relatively light, but I also... I, sometimes you just meet people that have a, you know, that need to, we, we need to have a serious discussion mm. and it, and a lot of people gravi- can gravitate to it. I, I know that I love a, a good, co- a funny comedy episode of, of some, some things. And I also like to settle in and, and learn a bit about people along the way. So you had to go through this journey um, of sobriety while you obviously had to go through a bit of a cancer scare as well. And you had to come through that with your family and everything. And mm. you touched in, you, in the book about coming through that. And I think that that, that could also drive people to, to drink. And you have moved the other way and said, no, you need to be as strong as possible to go through something like that. Yeah, you know what? I mean, I always assumed that, you know, if, if something really good happened, you drank. And if something really bad happened, you drank. You drank more. <laughs> you drank more. You know, and I I always assumed that, you know, if I hit a crisis point in life, I would use alcohol as a way of getting through it. And um, and I quit drinking for eight months when I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And luckily, you know, I... I'm sorry, I still get, every time I talk about this, I try and do it without, without getting sort of all choked up and I find it almost impossible. Um, I am so grateful every single day that I had stopped drinking before I was diagnosed with breast cancer because um, if I had been drinking at that point, um, I, the wheels would have fallen off the wagon, sure. you know, because I had three small kids. Um, so my youngest at the time was six. Um, they were six, eight, and eleven, and you know they needed to know that their mother was going to be okay. Yeah. And I didn't know whether I was going to be okay. But you got to put it up. And if know. I'd been drinking, I would have wept in front of them. Right. I would have been, you know, I would have been drinking every night. I would have been hungover every morning. I would have, you know, I would have been a mess. And as it was, I was, you know, I was able to put them first. I was able to, you know, what I used to do is. You know, when I when things got really tough, I would just go take the dog for a walk and I'd go and weep in the park. And then I'd come back and I'd smile and everything would be fine. And, um, you know, and I got through the whole thing and, um, you know, and I came out a stronger, more empathetic yeah. person than I'd gone in. And, um, you know, and I couldn't have done that if I'd been drinking. And I'm sure that, obviously, that story... Would, would have helped millions of people that were already reading and you had brought them on this journey uh, and you talk about it in a book. So it's something that, oh, okay, yeah. You know, like it, it, people can take out of these things what they want. Mm. They can take the book and they can take it for what it is or they can be like, oh, that's, you know, stop telling me what to do or mm-hmm. whatever. There's nothing preachy about this book. This book for me was a guide almost to a funny guy, like you, you know, like, and I, and I, one of the cool things that I need to tell was that I almost caved in Cork, Ireland, as you do. I was on Whiskey Alley. I was alone. Uh, the, the tour, we were, I just was in this weird zone where I'm like, I think I'm going to cave. Like, I'm going to cave. And it wasn't even like caving the way you see in the movies or something like, like the, like, Oh, he caved and he's off to rehab. I was just like, no, I'm so many days into this journey that like to have something right now would, you know, I, the idea of starting back over at day number one, because that scared the shit out of me. And I was like, so I, I go to your book and I'm like, what day am I at? Or I looked at the day number and I looked at the, your book and I was like, this was the time that you had caved almost the exact same day. I couldn't believe it. And I reached out to you and said, Wow, I, I I just I had to reference this book, and you you messaged me back. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. To me, that was one of the coolest things that you could have done because I'm just the, just the, the guy from Canada that's, you know, on tour trying to sort through this thing, you know, with the support of my family and, and, and a little bit of support on tour with some people. But when you're the author of the book that you're reading messages you back and says, no, you got this, you're going to, you know, you're going to do it. It was the most important part of my journey. Oh, I'm so pleased. At that point, because it was, I, I went for a run, I went to the gym, and, and then I just, I, I, I plowed through. That was the most important part, because our days matched. I couldn't believe yeah. it. And I'd have yeah, to reference back what day that, that was, that but our of, days matched. That sort of time is, is tricky, because, you know, you get to the point where you think, okay, I, you know, I've done this for months now, I'm quite good at this, and it's quite easy. And, and you think, so, and you, your brain goes through this sort of thought process and everybody does this. You start thinking, okay, so now I've reset, you know, and I can start mm-hmm. again and I can be much more sensible this time yeah. because I've learned my lesson and I'm only going to have one and I, that's it. And then, you know, and then I, I, I won't have another one until maybe my birthday or maybe Christmas and I'll just have one then. And, uh, and so you do, you have one and then you think, see, I did it. And then the next week you have two and the week after that you have three. And within a month you are back to where you were before and more. And, you know, and I did that on repeat for, you know, several years. I'd give up for a bit and then, and then I would go through that thought process and I think, okay, you know, now I can, now I know I've learned my lesson. And the truth is... You know, there are two sorts of people. There are people who are good at moderating stuff and there are people who are all or nothing. And what I've learned through that whole process is that I'm just an all or nothing person. And I'm like that about everything. You know, I'm like that about chocolate. You know, I'm like that about crisps (laughs) or chips, I think you call them in Canada. Yeah. Um, You know, so and and once once you realize that actually it makes it so much easier because then you just think okay I'm, I'm better off just not having anything you know it's just easier for me than trying to keep a lid on it the whole time and that's time. the discover. I think the part of it is just discovering what kind of person you are mm. so the uh, so that's that's part of it so maybe year two for me well, I'll discover a different part of me. I don't, I'm not sure, but <laughs> I knew I know that I was certainly a bit fearful coming up because I started January first, and I was I was certainly fearful about coming across the new year and I'm like, okay, well, I've accomplished one year. So do I do I say, okay, cool, I made it a year, and then I'll start again, and I'll be fine. I'll be able to moderate it, or no, I, I, I'm gonna, you know, at this point, I, I'm still working through like months i made it through a year now we're into um now we're into three months into the new year and i'm doing you know mm. i'm still i'm still there so it's it's you, good, you know it's what's good. funny as well is that you start off and you count the hours and then you start counting days and then you start counting months eventually yeah. it takes a while before you move on to months and you know i get the point now you said to me earlier you said how long has it been since you quit drinking and i had to think really hard i was like is it four years or is it five years <laughs> you know i can't even remember the years let alone the months so you're in a so, different space which yeah is so you, it does it does become the new normal it just takes a while you know when you've spent decades drinking and you know you're you've trained your subconscious ever since you were a child as you were saying at the beginning to sort of associate alcohol with all these things it just takes a while to reprogram but it does become the new normal you know and I I feel the same I gave up smoking 15 years ago and now I wouldn't dream of having a cigarette you know if I if you told me I was gonna be run over by a bus tomorrow I wouldn't light up a cigarette you know why would I and I feel like that about drinking now you know it just takes a while you know it takes a while I I mean I feel like I'm over the cusp I don't I don't you know I don't worry but I it was funny I I took a bunch of people on the last tour um, to the Jameson plant in 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 Dublin because they're just great people and I you know the, the Jameson people are awesome and uh, one of the drinks that they have there is a Jameson and ginger. 
So I ordered a ginger ale and lime and they accidentally put Jameson in it. <laughs> and it touched my lips and I knew right away because yeah, yeah. I knew right away because it would actually burnt my lips, which maybe I lost all my sensation when I was drinking <laughs> because I was like, nope, there's alcohol in there. And I had to push it away. And I was fighting with the idea of like, oh, man, does that mean I that wouldn't have been my fault? I could have just drank it. <laughs> right. I'm like, do I start back at day one now because it touched my lips? So I, I, I went a little bit easy. I'll let you. Uh, I know you got to run. So I, a couple things I want to touch on. So um the best thing that's happened since the release of the book to you. So the, the blog and then the book. And then so where are you at now? What's the best thing that's happened in your life since you've since the blog became so huge and the, and the Sober Diaries sold so much and, and, and you're in this different world now? What's the best thing? Back to Claire in a second. Just going to take a quick break. My friends at PartakeBrewing.ca jumped on board to sponsor the LifeCast. They got a non-alcoholic beer. It's the best I've had. They got a pale. They got an IPA. They got a stout. They got a red. They got a blonde. Keto-friendly. Vegan. They taste as close to the beer as I've had yet. Really great. Jumped on board. Perfect for this conversation. Claire and I, obviously, are not drinking anymore, but Claire writing The Sober Diaries, which has blown up and done some amazing business. So check them out. Partake Brewing. How has Claire's life changed? We're going to get to it. Make sure you stick around at the end of the interview because Claire called me yesterday and we did another Zoom for about another 10 minutes to give a little bit of an update on her world and her life since the release of the book, what's happening in the UK, all of it. So very awesome stuff. Thanks for listening to this week. And uh, back to my interview with Claire. What has changed for her? Um, I, think, I think for me, the best thing is hearing stories like yours you know I still get messages every day from people who say that you know their lives have changed since they found my blog or found my book and you know that's that's a great it's a great thing to to be able to do and you know I'm sort of it's funny Alcoholics Anonymous I never I never did AA um I was too I was too scared to do AA I think and I sort of you know, I, I never went. Um, and uh, but one thing that they talk about is giving back. You know, the final step in the twelve steps is giving back. And um, you know, I, I think it's great to feel like you know you're able to help other people who are in the same boat that you were in. Um, and and it's it's introduced me to some incredible people too, like you. You know, you and I would never have met, and they, we live on opposite sides of the world. You know, we we do different things. You know, it's but you know here we are sitting, you know, chatting in London. Uh, you know, at the O2, and um, you know it's a great privilege to have met you, and that would never have happened. Well, likewise, it's certainly. I mean, this book. I have to tell everybody whether you are beginning your journey halfway through your journey or you just need something really great to read whether you're still drinking and you can you you're handling it and you're just out you know living life it's it's a fabulous read it's so funny and it's great and i it just made me laugh and (laughs) and it also got me to a really great spot because i'm seeing where your kids helped you through it and then where they finally were like, you know, got you back as you referred yeah, to I'm it as. Yeah, I'm a much better mom now you know, than and I all was that then. Stuff. It was really <laughs> something. And, um, and so then that led to a fiction book that you decided to write. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's out now. How did that come together? And, and uh, what's, what's it about? Um, so, uh, well, it was really inspired by what happened to me because I thought, God, if, you know telling the truth about my life changed not only my own life but the lives of a whole load of other people and uh, it got me thinking what would happen if other people told the truth about their lives so that's where the idea for the authenticity project came out you know it was the idea of a notebook which an old man an artist wrote in and he wrote everyone lies about their lives and what would happen if you told the truth instead and then he tells the truth about his life and leaves the book in a cafe and the cafe owner picks it up reads his story and decides to track him down and help change his life and she writes her story which and leaves it somewhere where it's picked up by an addict funnily enough (laughs) a coke addict called hazard and uh 
um, he reads her story and then writes his own and so on. So it's passed between six people and they all meet each other and they all change each other's lives in different ways. So, so it's a book about the power of being authentic and about the power of telling your story and about how communities can come together and help each other. So it's very much based on my own Was it a harder book to write than The Sober Diaries? Because one, you can just start pulling pages out of your life. This one, you have to kind of create a brand new story. But you already have that story built, kind of? Or is it it, it harder to write fiction? It's harder and easier. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, it's easier in that you can... You know, you're not tied to reality. You know, so you can you can make whatever happen that you want to happen. Uh, but it's also harder because it's not tied to reality. You right. have to, you know, you have to imagine those things. Um, but uh, it's a great, you know. Again, it's it's a creativity. You know, I I'd always wanted to write. I'd wanted to write since I was a child, and and it was only when I stopped drinking that I found that urge to write again and the minute I stopped drinking I started writing and I just wrote and wrote and wrote and I haven't stopped (laughs) well now there's your that's that's the thing right now I'm sure you're exploding with ideas on what to write next and all the rest of it and uh, it never ends now I mean now that you've laid the platform out and you've pulled people like myself in that randomly found you and now are hooked and I'm telling everybody about it I mean pretty much Everything you write now, you're going to have a standing by for what's next. So, and this, and uh, I couldn't be more excited to be uh, along for the ride and have you here with me for this. Oh, thank you. It's time for rapid fire. So, life is the last module of podcast of this series. I started with, as I said, I started with um, coffee. Took people on my coffee journey around the world. Music, a bit of a musical journey around the world travel, how to travel the best he can be, how not to be a travel asshole, how mm-hmm. to be efficient at that. And life is going to culminate all of those and hopefully teach people some lessons and take what they've learned from these other modules and move on. So I'm going to hit you with a couple of things. One word Yikes. answers, if you can, <laughs> about, uh, here we go, your favorite coffee shop in London. Oh, um Oh, there's a great coffee shop in Soho, um, and uh, I've forgotten the name. It's really famous, um, and I can't remember what it's called because you've put me on the spot. That's right. <laughs> it's okay. But you touch on uh, your favorite barista. You have a barista that you love. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, no, he's retired. Uh, it's so sad. But, you have to uh, find a new one. Yeah, I do. I need a new barista because it makes such a difference. Even yeah. within one coffee shop, you know, who's making the coffee makes such a difference. So so uh, so yeah, he was at uh, the um, Craven Craven Cottage um, uh, coffee shop, which is uh, attached to Fulham Football Club, um, and uh, yeah. Well, we'll go with that one. Okay, we'll go with that coffee shop. <laughs> Favorite music to listen to? Now that is almost impossible because it so depends on on the your mood. mood. Right. So what's your go-to um, that is almost on every single day? I would say I'm a, I'm a big Queen fan. I'm, a, I'm Freddie Mercury is is one of my all-time favorite people. And you're coming to see him. You're, yeah. you're not him, but you're well, coming to see him. Queen. I'm you're coming, coming to see Queen, Queen with yeah. Adam Lambert. Yeah. yeah. Right. As have you seen them before? No, no. First time? And, you know, I've got the kids all into it. I took them to yeah. see the film Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah. So now they're big Queen fans too. So I'm taking the whole family to see Queen. Favorite place to travel in the world? Ooh. Uh, I spend a lot of time in Thailand, which is also features in my novel. Um, so I spent a wonderful month on a desert, pretty much um, sort of deserted island in Thailand back in the late 80s. And, uh, and if you read The Authenticity Project, you'll, you'll see Hazard ends up on this island, which is absolutely based on, on that experience. So that's one of my favorite places. And as we close with life, given the journey that you've been on thus far, you've come through five years of sobriety, wrote this great blog, two books now, back to being a mommy, doing all this stuff, and things are really rolling along for you. What's the best advice in life that you can give to somebody? Whether they're struggling with alcohol or whether they're just struggling in life, where, where, what, what's sort of your mantra? What do you kind of try to live by? Uh, you know what? I think one of the most important things is dealing with fear. Um, I think so many of us are held back by fear, and, and part of the reason I drank was to numb anxiety. 
And, um, you know, I think if you can realize that fear is your friend, you know, um, and that actually, you know, getting onto the other side of your fear is where all the most exciting things happen in life. You know, if you're feeling fearful about something, it's probably because it's, you know, something amazing is going to happen. Mm. Um, so uh, feel the fear and do it anyway. All, I've always lived by the thing that all the great things in life have happened because I said yes. Yeah. You know what I mean? And whether, whether it works out or doesn't work out, at least you went for it. You know, even this yeah. morning, you know, I woke up and I thought, oh, you know, I've got so much to do today. And I thought, you know, the O2 is like an hour away from me. It's the other side of London. And I'm a bit nervous about meeting somebody I've never met before. Sure. And, you know, maybe I should just cancel. And I thought, no, you know, I'm, and I'm so pleased I didn't. <laughs> and I am too, because you've been a huge part of my journey this past year. Um, and I'm pretty confident I wouldn't have been able to do it without you because... Um, just strictly finding the book and being able to read what you had to go through was inspiration enough. You, I started a podcast based on the idea that you started writing and doing some stuff. It helped me be creative, and I, I, I used a lot of that guidance. But most importantly, you stayed in touch. You didn't have to. You reached out to me, or I reached out to you, and you reached and you came back to me first saying thanks for reading the book and all the rest of it. And then when I started getting a little bit more personal about maybe caving or going through it, you were right there, you know, telling me, you know, I got this. And as I said, and I touched on before, it was the most important part of this journey. Um, I f it's a never-ending one. It'll keep going, but I feel like you've built some really great tools for me. The fact that you came all the way to see me today, I'll, uh, I'll never forget. And well, I, I, want, won't forget I want the <laughs> listeners, I want the listeners to not forget because this was a big moment for me and I want you guys listening to understand that like this started as a podcast of me trying to be creative but the access that we have to people around the world that want to give us access back is unbelievable and you made time for me and it's turned into a big part of my life here you are sitting on the couch and we're backstage at the O2 uh, in London which is one of my favorite arenas I've, I've done 10 shows here and it just seems like a really great natural way to start the life cast with somebody that's given me so much life this year. And uh, I can't thank you enough. Oh, it's, it's a pleasure. Been, it's and and you know, this next year for you is going to be amazing. I know it is. Well, hopefully we can reconvene sometime this year and uh, catch up again and we'll talk a little bit more about it. The Authenticity Project is available now all over the world. Yeah, in 29 different languages, amazingly. Did you have to so, narrate 29 different languages? No, no. <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> make sure you pick it up. Please, my friends, make sure you pick up the Sober Diaries for nothing else, just to have a, a, a great laugh uh, and read a wonderful journey from a wonderful woman who's done amazing things for people around the world. So, Claire, thank you so much. No, thank you. It's been so good to meet you. All the best for 2020 and beyond. And you. Okay, take <laughs> Bye. care. Bye. Hey everybody, it's Brent with the Brenton on Tour podcast, the Lifecast. Obviously, you've just listened to this great interview that I did with Claire Pooley. Uh, the, we did that interview, though, at the end of 2019 in December, backstage at the O2 Arena, and then the world shut down. And I had a full plan to release that interview uh, in April as the launch of the Lifecast. And as life happens, it kind of pushes things to the side. And I had to reach out to my friend Claire here and say, hey, um, I probably should uh, update the world on what you've been up to because you made a big announcement today uh, on your Twitter and uh, the book has since come out. Um, so there's a few things to discuss. So welcome back, even though you just listened to her. Welcome back, Claire Pooley, to the LifeCast episode two. How are you? I'm good, thank you. It's so good to see you again, even if it's virtual this time. And... Uh, yeah, what a what a time the world has had since since we last met. I mean, who I remember, you know, talking to you thinking, God, 2020 is going to be such an exciting year. And it certainly has been a year, but not in the way we expected it to be. 
Well, you were going to go see Queen. You had a whole thing planned. Yeah, yeah. And I was booked to see Elton John. I had all sorts of, I was going to all sorts of literary festivals. Um, you know, I mean, I had loads of bookshop events, all sorts of things in the yeah. in the pipeline. All, all of them were cancelled, you know, but that's, you know, that's the case with all of us. I think we've all, we've all lost a lot this year. And I hope, you know, I hope that along the way we've gained some things too. But uh, yeah, it's not one that any of us are going to want to repeat. Well, people have um, definitely had to adjust in life. They're getting more family time, uh, myself included, who, you know, I've been home the longest I've ever been uh, in this whole <laughs> career touring around. But um, we we definitely touched on uh, the release of your book, uh, which I've got here in Canada, available in Canada, uh, everywhere. Uh, the Amazing Authenticity Project. And uh, that was book number two. We met uh, briefly over Twitter and some of these other things um, during my reading of the Sober Diaries, which you were so politely to, you know, stay in touch with me during during my journey. And when we chatted, I was coming up on one year of not drinking. And now since now I'm already into September, it's already almost two years now <laughs> since that point. Uh, and but you had an announcement on Twitter today about the Sober Diaries. Yeah, no, I just found out from my publisher that um, it sold over 100,000 copies, actually over 115,000 copies now. So it's Worldwide just or just in the UK no, or all over the place? Um, well, that's the English version. So so that's the, the copy that sold in, in the UK, America and Canada. I mean, it sold more in um, in other languages as well, but, yeah. uh, but I don't know the numbers. But it's just great to know that you know, that story has found so many people around the world and, and that so many people have, have associated with it. So, uh, so yeah, that was, that, was, uh, that was nice to hear. Yeah, I think it's a wonderful book and I recommend it to everybody that's uh, maybe possibly starting the journey uh, to remove alcohol from their life, um, uh, making a change. It certainly helped me. It was an amazing read. Uh, you can follow along the days, which I found really great. And uh, congratulations to you. You've, you know, you sold it, artists make records and they put them out and they sell millions or a hundred thousand and they get awards and all this stuff. So a hundred thousand is uh, quite an achievement. So you must be very excited about that. Yeah, I did. I did ask my publisher where the gold disc was. Sure. <laughs> I haven't had it yet. <laughs> did they send you like a gold book? What is that? I don't That's, know. Uh, I don't yeah. know. I hope so. It would be nice. <laughs> and so how is the um, the reception of the Authenticity Project going? Like, how has that been going for you? Uh, what kind of feedback have you been getting since the book's been out? Oh, it's been great, actually. I mean, I, I thank you to all my uh, Canadian readers because actually it made the Toronto Star and the Globe and Mail bestseller lists, which yeah. was uh, which was great. So it's a Canadian bestseller, and um, uh, you know it came out in the UK after lockdown, so it came out after all the bookshops had closed, which was, you right. know, which was not what I was expecting and and rather sad, but. Um, what's been amazing is is I've had um, you know it sold incredibly well on ebook and I've had messages again from people everywhere saying that you know at a time when things were have been really miserable and um, you know everyone's been having such a hard time uh, that that book has, has made them feel happier it's a real sort of um, you know it's a very feel-good book sort of much like watching a Richard Curtis movie and uh, and I think it's you know it's helped people. So I wonder, you know, it almost feels as if you know that timing was meant to be, um, and and that bringing out that book at this time was was uh, was the right thing to do, even well, though it uh, it seems counterintuitive. And people would have had to scramble to get it. Um, you know, the, I was able to find it at a bookstore once they opened up again. Uh, you know, we have a chain here that that was open relatively soon, but I'd imagine it would have pushed people digitally. So, I'm, you know, the, the, your publisher must be just as happy with that, you know, getting those digital reads up as well, I would think, at least getting it out there in the world. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's as I said, it's, it's, sold, it's sold really well on, uh, on ebook and, uh, and hopefully when the paperback version comes out, because, uh, you know, in most markets it, it launched first in hardback, and when the paperback version comes out, I hope that, uh, you know, the bookshops will be open and I'll get to sort of see it everywhere. But uh, yeah, fingers crossed. Yeah. In Canada, you can pretty much, I think, pick it up anywhere. I've seen it at, in Canada. We have a chain called Shoppers Drug Mart. I've seen it there. Uh, London Drugs have seen it at Indigo and all those places. So oh, it's brilliant. out there. And I believe 
I also saw it at Costco. Yeah, it was it was definitely it was at, Costco. Costco at the beginning. I don't know. If so it's I'm sure that would have sold a bunch. So congrats. That's book number two. Any designs on book number three? Oh God, don't ask. I'm in the middle of editing at the moment. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's, uh, you know, they talk about the painful second album. Right. You know, the same is true of painful second books, I think. So I'm, uh, yeah, I'm trying to wrestle it into uh, into to shape and uh, fingers crossed I'll keep you posted. Amazing. Can't wait. Uh, I welcome or I uh, encourage everybody to check out both of Claire's books so far. They've been uh, very uh, inspiring and fun reads and uh, it gives you a good insight into the type of character she is and how fun she is. Um, the uh, obviously the world of drinking uh, I'm sponsored by Partake Non-Alcoholic Beer now, and that's kind of been fun, putting people on that um, as they've been kind of journeying through their own journey for whatever reason, whether it's health or whether it's alcohol uh, problems or whether it's like they just can't drink anymore for whatever reason. So that's been kind of fun. Um, but the bars have certainly had to adjust here and people with um, issues maybe through the COVID situation, any kind of a that you've been been asked about or been people coming to you personally and saying hey I can't go to the bar I've got a problem I'm trying to get alcohol out of my life and I don't know like what are you how are you guiding people right now well you know I mean it's it's been really tough for, for people struggling with alcohol the whole lockdown situation because um, you know people who were already drinking a little bit too much but you know still being able to keep a lid on it, I found that the additional stress, the additional loneliness, the additional, um, uh, you know, the fear and anxiety has meant that they've been drinking more and more than, than they were before. So, you know, in the UK, I know that the amount of number of people who would classify as being sort of problem drinkers has doubled over, over the sort of, you know, the, the uh, lockdown period. So I think a lot of people are coming out of, you know, out of that that sort of strict lockdown and uh, reevaluating what's going on and and start, you know, wondering what on earth to do about it. And uh, you know, what I say to everyone is is you know, you are not alone, and there is help out there, and and actually there is fabulous help online. So, you know, the fact that it is more difficult to see people in real life uh doesn't mean that you can't you can't find help uh so uh so so yes don't despair is is my my main message well a lot of people staying in now well i mean they're getting out but they've been staying in mostly so i could see uh, where that could cause a problem for sure but um i uh can't thank you enough for for what uh you did for me and what that book did for me. And I definitely encourage people to, uh, to check it out. And um, I mean, do you, are you, do you write a sober diaries part two? Do you write like a, now I'm sober and it's like, this is, this is a different journey I'm on. And does that, does that a book potential? Cause I'd love to hear that story as well. Oh, that's very kind of you. I think, you know what, um, when I wrote the sober diaries, my kids were uh, between the ages of six and 11 and mm. they're now, um, between the ages of 11 and 16 and you know I, I don't think I can carry on writing about my life without causing them immense embarrassment gotcha. <laughs> so so I think I could write part two about what I'm up to now but I think my kids would never forgive me <laughs> so I'm sorry so fiction is the way to go now yeah, yeah. And, you know, my fiction is loosely um, related to sure. to my real life. It, I think fiction always is in one way, shape or form. So so as part of the life cast question, I'm, I'm asking people uh, to kind of sum up and finish up here. What's the life of Claire Pooley like right now? Uh, you know, it's, oh, it's an interesting question because, um, you know, I, I, I found lockdown really hard. I found, um, you know, I, I found it it difficult to to see what was going on in the world and and you know and and not not grieve for all the things that that we've lost, even if temporarily. But you know, coming out of it, I'm I'm feeling really positive because I'm hoping that you know we've all learned so much about the things that really matter, about the power of connection, mm -hmm. about friends and family um you know i went out for 
dinner with with a few friends um, a couple of nights ago, which is the sort of thing I used to do in the old days all the time. And um, you know, and I really, really appreciated it. It was just sort of I, I think it's it's made us realise what's important in life, and I hope we can all hang on to that. Yeah, it certainly changed the world, but it certainly changed the way that we. Uh... We have uh, spending our time right now, which is definitely uh, more valuable than ever, but also I think people are being more productive. So I can't wait for the, the announcement of the new book and whatever you're, whenever that's going to come out. Uh, again, congratulations on the Sober Diaries and how well it's doing uh, the Authenticity Project in stores now everywhere, uh, which everyone should pick up, which is amazing. Where can people find you online, Claire? Uh, well, my website is uh, clairepooley.com, um, but uh, I'm also on social media, so you can find me on Twitter at, at cpooleywriter, and uh, um, Facebook, uh, my Facebook page is Sober Mummy, and um, on Instagram, I'm uh, Claire, at Claire underscore Pooley. Awesome. This is the life of Claire Pooley now, since December. Uh, the part two of the life cast with Claire Pooley part two. This was great to have you on for a little brief catch up. Uh, couldn't be happier uh, for you and um, all the best for the rest of uh, 2020. And maybe we'll see you in 21 over there. Oh, well, it's so good to see you. And I'm so glad you recovered from COVID. See, now you're a superhero. You have all those antibodies. They tell me <laughs> I've got the tiger blood, but we'll see. Uh, we'll see how that's going so far. So good. <laughs> onwards and upwards and uh, have had a great uh, great support system great family great wife great kids great everything has been amazing through the whole process and uh, um, you know my mom lives with us she's been a big support everyone's been awesome and uh, away we go just on to the next page right yay thanks Claire oh thank you Brent so good to see you talking a bit bye What happens when we play outside? We become healthier, both mentally and physically. We become more creative and more focused. We connect with nature, each other, and ourselves. Let's Take This Outside, a new podcast hosted by me, Marianne Iveson, an aspiring outdoor athlete and nature lover. I speak to athletes, outdoor professionals, and scientists about their connection to nature, how it affects their performance and everyday life. Let's Take This Outside, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and at letstakethisoutside.ca. Come on a journey like no other, where you will discover many roads that will lead you to a happier, healthier, and more stress-free life. And the beauty is, you don't need any vacation time for this adventure. The journey will come to you. Join Avery Rich on your very own journey into yoga. Along the way, she will demystify yoga poses and guide you into a yoga posture or short sequence, all in less than 15 minutes. You have nothing to lose but stress. The Journey Into Yoga podcast. It's not for people who like yoga. It's for people who don't like yoga. Follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at AveryRich.com.